0: Okay, I'm delighted today to welcome Rupert Barheni to uh, the podcast of Building New Realities. Uh, apologies if I got the pronunciation uh, wrong there, Rupert. I'm, I'm sure you can help me with that. Spot on,
1: Tim. Thank you, oh, great. just well, right.
0: Thank you for making time to, to chat today. I'm really interested to uh, have, have a conversation with you. I, I know your, your sort of day job uh, is at Google. Um, but what I'm more interested in is your, you know, your interest in, in VR and immersive tech as an enthusiast uh, kind of over the years. And obviously, it, it intersected uh, beautifully with what you did at Google. So i yeah, really looking forward to, to chatting today. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Very pleased to be here.
0: Excellent. So just to set the scene uh, a little bit on those two factors uh, I mentioned there, how would you describe your current work role?
1: So it it's it's had a shift over the recent years. I've, I've been quite a, a long-term Googler now. this is my 15th year and you can imagine you reinvent your career every few years. But uh, I'm currently working as a technical specialist for e-commerce companies. And so what we do is perform audits on their sites and establish where uh, uh, interactions can be sped up or if perhaps they're, they're badly executed or it could be improved. And so uh, we, we help people make money on the web.
0: Got you nicely summarised. Uh, I think that sounds like a mission—a mission statement. We help make people make money on the web, which uh, is, of course, what Google do. And, and tell me about your journey in XR and the sort of the first sort of taste you had of it, with you know sort of milestones uh, uh, along the way in terms of where it intersected with your career.
1: Sure. Well, I, I guess for the first half of my life, it always felt like uh, it was one of these standard science fiction tropes. And so I guess I grew up dreaming of a, a kind of holodeck that you would get on Star Trek. But my first real experience actually was in London, it would have been about 25, 26 years ago. And it, it's still there, the Trocadero, but it used to be a very large uh, arcade And they would always have the latest machines in there, some really big installations, and I was quite thrilled when they had uh, one of the first virtuality setups there. And if you recall this thing, you you stood in this rather uh, awkwardly fragile looking plinths and and flailed around with a, a rather chunky controller and a headset. Uh, and as futuristic as it looked, you drop this thing on your head, and just this wave of instant disappointment passed over <laughs> you. Because what they didn't tell you was, uh, in the cabinet, was a, an Atari ST running at twenty frames per second, uh, with a huge amount of lag. Uh, I guess broadcasting to what I assume would have been very small uh, CRT monitors and the eyepieces at that stage, um, and it was just a very laggy, choppy experience. <clears throat> but Uh, The vision was there, and what was exciting about it was knowing that really slick, sleek VR was only about five years away. (laughs) And of course, that didn't turn out quite as planned, but you got a glimpse of it then, and I was certainly excited. And then I've been following uh, the industry with the degree of fascination since, but I only really got to participate in it uh, for the first time about six years ago.
0: And, and obviously, there's some material available uh, online. Obviously, you realise you have to be slightly discreet with, uh, with what you can talk about. But, you know, having looked at some of your t- talks um, at AWE, you obviously are very involved with the, with the whole Google Earth project. And there's some fascinating material there on really thinking about, you know, how does a, how does a person experience xr How does this hit person's experience immersive you know from from locomotion to i mean google earth is an interesting project because obviously it's such a it's just such a huge premise you know you're you're, you're going to be moving around the world but i guess if, as a way of sort of chipping into that and i'm really interested to talk to you about the sort of design design considerations of, of xr um but if we look at it as a from a sort of a broader topic to begin with what, what does the what does building new realities um mean to you in XR? like when you first went into that that trocadero piece with high expectations yeah. uh, to be met by a disappointing uh, a small, small small crt scan versus the work you know you then went on to do with google earth what, what was that sort of i mean i can understand what the promise is when you're you know, younger and going into the machine at the chocodero, it's just pure entertainment. Um, You know, looking a bit beyond the sort of the entertainment uh, factor, what what does building new realities mean to you?
1: So I think something I've seen over the years is uh, accessibility. Uh, and by that, I mean this idea of what well, we've spent two years in lockdown, of course, and the idea that you can be close to loved ones is is part of it. Um, something I wound up doing more than playing games over the last couple of years was just spending times in, in VR chat rooms of various description. I, you know, I have my favorites and some that maybe were a little more frustrating. But the thing that it brought home to me was just uh, a way of staying in touch with a degree of I, I, I don't know if intimacy is quite the right word, but there was something about eye contact, uh, over and above tone of voice and hand movement, uh, the tilt of one's head. And so you're picking up on the stuff that you get in in room to room. So I would say that that's one element. Um, I think there's something democratizing about it where uh, as much as we would love to travel and see all these beautiful places around the world, they couldn't withstand the foot traffic. And there's a sustainability aspect of what air travel would do if everybody would travel quite as much as they would like to. And and the way things are going, that's going to get less and less affordable anyway. Um, so the idea that you could bring the world to the palm of your hand, that there was something just uh, haunting about Earth. Uh, there's a little intro that would play if you were loading it for the first time. And it gave you a, a look at some famous... Sort of geographical um, locations and landmarks but it would finish with um oh there was a quote Carl Sagan had I think the the mode of the mode of dust in the sunbeam and there was this uh like godlike overview uh, overlook effect I think the astronauts uh called it and then to be able to give that to people who maybe hadn't even left their country before I, I just felt it was very powerful so for me um maybe even to borrow some of the 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 google nomenclature, this idea that you can bring information to the world and make it useful to people and and that's something i I really get enthusiastic about because uh, i didn't travel for a long time i the first time i went abroad was 21 but i I dreamed about going to these places and so i love that there is something about this uh, dreamlike state that you can emulate from inside a headset and give people experiences that uh I think hitherto were impossible to get to. It, it's the art form that includes every other art form that's come to be. It, it feels like uh, it feels like it could be a pinnacle of creativity. I don't think we're there yet because the tools have to get smoother. Uh, I think a lot of the stuff we see is maybe leaning a little too heavy on video game tropes. And so you see the same kind of generic imagery, which hasn't reached the level of sophistication you get when more artists get involved, but the tools are getting better, uh, the more available to people. And I think you're gonna see more auteur work come out of it, which which is gonna elevate the, the whole art space. So that, that was a very meandering uh, answer, but to be fair, it was quite a broad question. <laughs> I hope that-
0: Well, it's a very broad on. question. I, I'm interested to look up the overlook effect. I can only presume that would be, you know, looking at the earth from a spaceship and, and yeah, exactly. realizing one's- uh, small part in the cosmos rather than how we are on earth walking around that we thinking that we are the center of the universe um so yeah the 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 overlook effect which i guess is a it's um what's it's it's, i was gonna say it's it's a it's a it's almost a leveler isn't it it's allowing you to put you into uh situations or scenarios that kind of level you away from your sort of normal presumptive uh mode and we have a sort of quote that we've been using at future visual for a number of years which is just providing access to situations and scenarios that are physically impossible or prohibitively expensive and we've normally we've normally been thinking about them in terms of access to sort of training scenarios that were difficult or environments that were too expensive to build we hadn't actually factored in the emotional part of mm-hmm. of that kind of line, um, you know, providing access to situations, scenarios, and emotional states that are are difficult to access um, is is perhaps a, a third leg of the, the VR experience that we don't consider yeah, for sure. very much. And
1: Actually I think- if, if I may, just on the accessibility, there's there a greater uh, case study. I, I worked a little bit with a, a team here. I, I live in Zurich, Switzerland, and Uh, They have some pretty sophisticated old-age care facilities. I I think they want to make sure they're not just sort of putting people in a box until they die. They're pretty serious about, um, I guess you could call it habitat enrichment. And a friend of mine had put together this project where they wanted to bring old and young together and so what they did was they took these school kids and they would go and meet older people that maybe didn't have grandchildren of, of their own or were living far away from them. And then they shared some stories back and forth. And something that the, the Swiss have is uh, everybody has an ancestral mountain that they had people living in a tiny village on the top of some dirt path somewhere. And so what would happen was the uh, the kids would go out with 360 cameras take imagery from these places uh, or, or, or places that, uh, you know, when you're 70, 80, you're not going to be hiking up these same trails anymore, but they would capture these images, bring them back, and then use them as a conversation starter. And tears were shed. You could imagine that these old people that had assumed they were never going to see these places, mm. again, have that opportunity to experience As you say, it's not so, so much as expensive, but limited by their mobility and, uh, I mean, their health and the idea that I think this is a generation that old age homes are going to get a lot more interesting with the advent of VR. So I'm quite enthusiastic about that mm-hmm. too.
0: Yeah, it does seem a natural fit. At the other end of the scale, I remember last year we, um, we went into a, a version of Shangri-La, which is a club area oh, wow. at Glastonbury. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's this, it's this, it's this field in Glastonbury that's qu- quite sort of notorious. Um, it basically comes on when everything else closes down. So two a.m. is like opening hours, uh, and you know it'll go through to ten in the morning. Um, but obviously, you know, you go into Shangri-La, and you'd have these kind of peak experiences, and it'll all be amazing. And um, but in the real world, of course, you know there was a a, a large cost to that in terms of hangover lack of sleep etc etc but anyway they remodeled it in in vr and we jumped in it like i say last year from home it was amazing to be able to to just jump in and have this kind of peak experience and obviously with avatar systems you'd be like dancing next to someone who was a, a crocodile, or, you know, and, every, you know, or someone was in hot pants, I myself was dressed as a shark, and, uh, you yeah, know, and my wife was there, and she was getting chatted up by these sort of, uh, these 20-year-olds from Austra- Australia, because, you know, they saw her avatar of, like, oh, look, there's a, a gorgeous woman in hot pants, of course, she is a gorgeous woman, perhaps, you know, known that she was a mum that was just sort of, sorting out dinner for her kid at that time yeah Um, so it's like the other end of the 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 ages piece it also allows um you know older people or it just gets rid of age right because you're just like talking to a a shark or a you know whatever it is someone in hot pants um yeah yeah, i think that age element is, is really interesting as well so and what areas of xr design do you think are often overlooked could not be considered enough. Need a bit more uh, thorough research, or you know, just have, have 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 a lot that can be pulled out of them. Like they seem quite small, but actually, there's a, there's a lot of impact.
1: Sure. Um, so one thing that stands out for me, and it's something I, I took quite seriously early on, because seeing people's resistance to virtual reality i had a great enthusiasm for it and so i didn't mind cables and tripping over chairs and all sorts of stuff but um when i was starting to give demos about five or six years ago i was seeing uh, a degree of uh reserve because it was intimidating to people that maybe didn't feel they had um they felt they were doing it wrong and that's not the impression you want to give people and so I, i would say that the experience for me i Okay, so I, I six years ago, I built one uh, of Google's first uh, proper VR labs. It was the first dedicated room, and I, I was very lucky. Our facilities team just said, okay. Money, no object. What would you do? And I made this crazy list, and they said yes to a lot more of it than I expected they would. So we created an environment that had the, it was sound padded. It was very private. Nobody was kind of watching you while you were exploring these places so for very sort of uh, secure, if you like. I think there's a huge vulnerability when somebody puts something on their head, and then if you give them two controllers, they maybe haven't had a chance to really look at and spend time with just in the real world, all of a sudden this virtual object is in your hand. And if you're not a gamer, it's incredibly intimidating. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I found that people would be willing, uh, I think one of the beauties about cardboard was you could hold it to your face with one hand, take it away from your face and go back and forth to the real world uh, very comfortably. So you didn't feel you were um, in in a threatening place and the more straps and bundles and cables and headphones you put on somebody's head i think it's very unsettling so when people talk about the the experience design in vr i would like them to think about uh how it starts the beginning because if you're giving demos the head straps might be wrong uh the audio levels might be off you don't know if somebody set up the guardian correctly or not so all of these little fiddly things uh, so one of the things I like about the, the Quest is this uh, memory for places it, it's created. So you scan something once uh, and then then it's there. But just all of that little fiddly stuff that you forget when you're testing, people have to go through. Uh, and and the, the pet peeve for me, I think, is just the myriad of buttons that, that people have to use over and above trying to learn a, a new locomotion scheme in the experience you're trying to give them potentially. Uh, so I, I would say UX generally, uh, both in terms of uh, the physical hardware and trying to use as, as few inputs as you can and concentrate more on the stuff that we, we know instinctively how to use. Uh, there was stuff on the Vive, which I loved. There was uh, one of my favorite experiences was Vesper Peak. And there was some sticks and a little robot dog, and you could bend over and pick up a stick. Nobody told you how to do it. It just came very naturally because they'd mapped the, the motion to it very, very well. So there was no instructions when you load it. You just dropped straight in it, and you understood how it worked very, very quickly. Uh, and I see a lot of um, experiences where there's just pages of instructions come up, and you feel you're taking an exam, and then you're in, and you feel like you're performing very badly. Uh, where you look at something, I guess, like Beat Saber, where very quickly um, the game is the instruction. It's pretty clear what you're supposed to do. And the, the interaction is not you filling around with tiny button presses. It's just these big gestures that come to you naturally because you've been using your body for 10, 20, 50 years in a way you haven't been using a gaming controller if you're a random person in the population. So I would encourage people to not just test it with their video game literate friends, uh, take a step back, get somebody who's never used this before, and then observe them through the whole experience from putting on a headset, getting the straps right, as I say, uh, and then just seeing how comfortable they feel, looking at where the pain points are. And then trying to remove that because any item of friction you have, I mean, we see this with websites. Uh, I mean, a slow website, you're adding friction to it. And if it's enough, it just it generates heat and it's painful. And so um, you, you just want to streamline and you get more people spending longer and you have a bigger impact with those people. So that's yeah, the plan. Concentrate in the UX. Yeah, yeah. I think
0: that's a really interesting point. You, that phrase you've made, the game is the instruction. And it is... You know, is that given enough priority? You know, it's very easy for us to default to you know coming up with UX and and menu systems and not thinking more about it, it, it occurring within the scene. Um, you know, your example of picking up a stick and throwing it for a dog is that's because what we intuitively do, you know, one of the D pieces we're doing at the moment is. Is the difference between sitting and standing because we're building uh fan experiences for watching uh esports or traditional sports, you know, at, at some point you'll be standing because it's like, yeah, it's really exciting, what's going on? And, but then it'll be a bunch of boring times as well, and 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 you'll be yeah. sitting. But just the impact like the standing or sitting has and and being able to 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 either marry them up, so you know, when I'm in an experience and I just sit down because I'm waiting for stuff. To happen.
1: Yeah.
0: What will happen in, in the world is that I'm suddenly at hip height yes. and, and everyone else is still at head height. Um, yeah. And you know, once you've detected that user has gone from you know, six, approximately six foot to three foot, at that point, do you immediately place them on a virtual seat but raise them back up to a <laughs> you know, kind of five foot height? Because you know, that's, that's yeah. how, that, how they would appear. Uh, and I find it's quite disconcerting when you're in, in an environment and you know a bunch of people are just sitting around because um, you feel like, oh, they're, they're, they've perhaps ducked out. They're not as involved. Um, you know, you're picking up on a bit of that that body language because you're like, oh, they're not as involved. They're sitting down. So yeah, really, I mean, it, it, it's such a small thing, like the difference between, or, or we take it. It's a huge thing that we take for granted. You know, the difference in impact between. Uh, being seated and standing, but it just has a huge impact and huge huge ramifications. Also, yes, things absolutely. like volume, you know, rather than hiding volume away in settings, you know, if you're in a group space that's aimed at you and your mates, you know, there does there need to be um not just you know spatial audio, so you've got different volume levels based on your position, but actually, uh you know, almost like a sort of uh, a global or an announcement type. Um, uh, feature where you know if everyone's at different levels, but you want everyone to hear, you know, perhaps so perhaps there's a virtual megaphone, right? You just pick up the yeah, megaphone yeah, using the fair. stick analogy. It's like I have an you know yeah. I have an announcement. Okay, <laughs> does anyone want to go and play X X and X rather than messaging it or yeah yeah uh, uh, or, or trying to do uh, contact people? So on something as apparently simple as you have seated and standing. Have you got any? Any examples around UX that come to mind, perhaps to do with teleportation, um, you know, with the, the last example, there was, you know, there's, there's the big macro shot, then there's down on the street, you know, did you, uh, in, your, in your observances, are there anything else that, that, that springs to mind that'd be interesting to discuss?
1: Sure. So uh, funny enough, when you you mentioned the sitting, standing thing, um, when I'm giving people new experiences now, I I make damn sure they fill in a feedback form. And I started asking people, how much of the time did you spend sitting or standing? Are you left or right-handed? Stuff like this. Mm. Um, From the experience of Google Earth, what was nice was it would, uh, there was a charming thing that would happen. People would zoom out to the point where they would have almost like a, a doll's house type town or village under them and they would just get down on their hands and knees and look in the windows it just it happens very naturally over and over again and there was something very charming i think we have this uh i last summer i went to one of these the swiss love miniaturizing stuff i think the japanese of their bonsais the swiss have model train sets and miniature villages Model villages, yeah, yeah. and it was great it was this sense of um I guess it's almost a, like a power fulfillment fancy that kids have to say, be you could be big enough to crush it yeah. <laughs> if you were so inclined. But seeing that that was emulated in the real world, I, I liked a lot. And just how many different movement types people just naturally exhibited, and the fact that you you could move meaningfully around there. Some people would um, uh, like zoom something into the center of a, a play area and then walk around it. Other people would. Uh, just purely grab it with a controller and move it around. You had to be a little more sophisticated that this is where we're moving into the territory of you could learn a lot of button presses. There was a side squeezing on the the Vive controller that you could sort of anchor and and move around. But it was, it was nice to see that. Um, One of the ones I felt had the most inventive movement types. um, Oh, this is embarrassing. I, I can't remember the name of the game, but it was something conspiracy, something like this. Um, it was almost like a Mission Impossible type scenario where you was wasn't the um, diplomacy, unseen diplomacy. Was okay. right? Could be. Well, the, the deal was it, it replicated that thing in the movies where there was a screwdriver you could pick up, you could crouch down, take the grill off a ventilation duct and then crawl your way down a passageway and sneak into another room. And it was it was so silly and childlike and fun and exciting. Mm. And it would uh, it it kind of would generate these uh, scenes and align them to the volume you were in. And so you would it would bump up against the wall of the space if you had one. And you could just you you could feel like you were stuck in this vent. Now, you weren't you were in a completely open room, but it, it was just this accentuation of bringing out the natural playfulness what you would do in that scenario, and then actually using the, the surrounding way, not in the way to sort of, um, I think a lot of times there's that little mental model you keep of your surroundings that takes yeah. you out of the experience. This almost harnessed that, that feeling of bumping up against your surroundings and used it to accentuate the feeling in the game. And it was something I really admired about it. Um, I really wish I could remember the name, but it was one of my first really favorite like, oh, this is good they're, they're really playful about the inputs before everything was button 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 but yeah that was a good one
0: well we'll try and find the name of it and we'll put it in the notes
1: yeah please i'll find it for you and then send it because it was it was a great app i really loved it
0: excellent and then yeah just in the sort of the spirit of uh feedback and uh, getting people's post experience uh thoughts what does what does digital anthropology mean to you and how do you sort of explore it and use it
1: Sure, so um, uh, luckily I was starting to do a bit of this before moving into the, the VR side. And so uh, when I was a, a UX prototyper for our travel products, one of the things we did early on was, well, well the the classic thing that is drilled into everybody's head early on from the UX perspective is you are not your customer. Uh, and we're we we we're lucky, we, we've got fairly fast hardware, Uh, We have fairly up-to-date phones. Uh, We've got good connection speeds uh, in in the cities we develop from. And that just isn't representative of the people who are going to be using these products. And so the quickest way to do it, I mean, if you're building a product for India, uh, you just send a team out there and you will work with people directly. Uh, I I didn't manage to land that uh, travel budget, but what we did do was um, go to people's houses with a notebook and a pen, and make yourself invisible while they try and book a flight. And you would sit and you would watch them and, and not instruct them, uh, very sort of subtly try and jot down any notes as you go. And you just move, you watch them move around. Something they'll research on a phone, then they'll move to a laptop, then they'll pick up a book, then they'll take a break, make a cup of tea, and they'll come back. And you get this holistic picture of uh, stuff that you don't get from analytics. It's that whole experience of uh, uh the intent being there the various processes and it was frustrating sometimes because they would be copying something to a completely different app to share it in a way that they could have done it in product but that wasn't a failure on their part it was something that was wrong with us because people maybe didn't make the connections sometime uh, but it was amazing just to see the level of assumption that we as uh, experienced designers would make and you have to get out in front of your your clients your customers and see what the i guess the lived experience is the expression uh because there's there's what you think it will be like and then how it's actually received and the the two can be very different and the the best way to do it is get out there and and see it for yourself in person
0: Mm, interesting Um, and would you say that understanding how a customer interacts with your products is your sort of your aspiration for the field you work in. Is that, would you say that's sort of the the driving force Uh, or what other aspirations would you have for your field?
1: It's a big part of it. Um, I I do. um, In in my kind of outside hours, I do a bit of spare time uh, advising startups. Now I I kind of get that startup energy from from this and I like the mentoring aspect, but uh, one thing I think you'll see. and I say this with love because I come from this side of the divide myself. I, you know, I'm an, I'm an engineer, but there is something that engineers kind of do, which is fall in love with how they make something work, and then they spend all this time telling somebody how it works. And your your clients, your customers, they don't really care. Uh, Don't don't try and look clever in front of them, just tell them how it's going to help them. And so I think putting yourself in this mindset of, all right, from their perspective, what do they see? You you think they're seeing this incredibly sophisticated rendering pipeline and they don't. They see the bad button placement uh, or a bad word choice that makes them not realize this is the button you click to, to launch the experience, just silly stuff like that. So the stuff that's visible to them is the stuff that's invisible to you. And any chance you can get to spend time with the customer and like early, get the um uh the the minimum viable uh product out there and in front of people because sometimes you'll you'll figure out you've just you've you've done it wrong or you've gone on a, a wrong insight and you've painted yourself into a corner and you have to come out and course correct uh, and just meet people where they are at or. Pave the cow paths. That's the other one of these uh, statements people trot out, but it's true. See how people use it and build around that. So, yeah, customer focus is absolutely key. Yeah, that's uh,
0: that's interesting. I mean, I, I, and along those lines, so you know, the greatest challenge is understanding your customers the way they interact with it. What would you What would you often find? The greatest technical challenges. And that could
1: include Um, just working within a team, so not just technical, but, you know. um. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, Well, for VR, at any point, it it seems to always come down to frame count. And one of the decisions, actually, that was taken very early on, it was our our pole star, as they say, for Earth was no negotiation. It has to hit 90 frames per second. Uh, And I, I say that, thinking back to an experience I had, again, a lot of my, a lot of my formative VR experiences were in the first, uh, I suppose, 2016, when this stuff was making it to the mainstream. It was, it was no longer developer hardware, you could buy this stuff off the shelf. And I, I feel like I'm probably going to be bad mouthing somebody else's work, but one uh, uh, of these luxury car, uh, Lexus car manufacturer had created uh, a very exciting sounding uh, it was like a thriller shot in 360 video and had very high production values and it was um uh, it was was quite an exciting prospect but because it was pre-rendered 360 video with a lot of special effects in it and like post post filming effects uh it didn't matter because you were stuck in this place that didn't respect your six degrees of freedom and if, if you have a light stomach like i do and at least half of your testing team should have you realize that you watch this five minute clip, feel a bit sick at the end of it. And then the sales pitch for the car was to put you in the front seat of this thing where you're supposed to admire the Walnut dashboard. And all you felt was physically sick. And you had this visceral revulsion of what you're looking at because the last thing you want to do is be cooped up in a car and you have to Mm. run out from it. So there was this idea that, um, yeah, that, that I think is a key focus. I think I forgot the question. Could you restate the question and bring it back around again?
0: Yeah, because because we talked about sort of aspirations for for the field, which was around uh, you know user experience right. and understanding how you the use technical. It, and then moved on to technical. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the technical thing, I more than anything else, um, always sacrifice polygon count uh, for frames per second. I mean that's true of stuff you might be building for the web. Uh, I there was there was one copy i was advising and i was slightly alarmed to find out that the they were launching 3d models to the screen they were, they were buying these things off uh, turbo Squid, one of the one of these uh, libraries and they were buying Thirty thousand polygon models because they were thinking like, "Hey, we're getting a great deal. This is They're really high risk model," yeah. and then putting it on screen about two hundred pixels by one hundred pixels, like you've got more polygons than pixels. That can't be right. And so from the get-go, I'd always suggest. I mean, all right, a good example of that. A couple of my favorite experiences, and and they took a slightly different, appropriate, a different approach for both. And I, if you don't know these, I would recommend you try them both. Um, first off, Super Hot VR. First off, I I cannot believe that was not Seen as a VR game from the get-go, I believe it was uh, like a standalone third-person, well, first-person shooter, or just on a regular uh, uh, desktop computer. But it comes into its own in VR. But for those that haven't seen it, it has this very um, stylish rendering. Everything's in black and white with red, and they make a, a merit of this incredibly low polygon count because it's just part of the visual style that this game has. And it plays with this uh, real-world virtual-world uh, element, that you switch between and in interesting ways. Um, and they've got no problem hitting the, the frame count. And the frame count is very, you have to do a lot of physical contortions. And so you want it to be smooth. You can have no glitching there. And I think they did it beautifully. Uh, and the other one was Red Matter, which I think also was the same. I think there was a non-VR version, but the VR version on the Quest uh again not not particularly high resolution assets the the polygons are pretty clunky it's like you know i'm going to say playstation 2 but the materials are astounding yeah, it looks, i don't it know, looks great, though, you know the one? Looks oh, amazing yeah
0: yeah, yeah.
1: So I, I, I'm in a lift. I always enjoyed going in the lift, which doubles as a loading screen because you could just look up at the plate glass, and look at the fingerprints and scratches. Yeah. And they tell the story. They, they give you a sense of the age and the unkempt nature of this abandoned facility that you've gone mm-hmm. into. But it just looks real. In a way, you're getting very inexpensively in terms of CPU power. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a torch that's constantly reflecting various levels of different elements. And so just the, the physics felt in a very high resolution, uh, this sort of impressionistic sense, in a way, I don't care if the wheel you turn is octagonal, I'm okay with that. But the fact that the light glints off it in just the right way, I I thought was very thrilling. So yeah, there are inventive ways that keep you in the game world. but they're the the right um, compromises to make to keep the frame rate high. That that's the key for me.
0: Yeah, I'd have to concur on Red Matter. It's a it's a, a masterclass in 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 the art atmosphere. It it looks wonderful.
1: A good story too. It's very cleverly done. I like it.
0: Um, so going on to the uh, the word du jour, what does that, what does the metaverse mean to you?
1: It, it's the kind of thing that. <laughs> whenever it's discussed they, they always seem to have this requirement to define it and so i i suppose the technical thing is it's it's an online collaborative persistent possibly commercially enabled uh, uh online space um i don't believe it has to be in vr i i mm-hmm. second life you could argue is one of them roblox certainly minecraft um at this point, though, I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. I think it's the the phrase has become devalued to the point where it's, it's the thing that everybody puts into their LinkedIn bio at the moment to attempt to hustle a new gig. I, I anybody that can tell you what it is, I don't. I, I would not hire that person because they'd be lying. I think they're a huckster. Um, I'm enthusiastic about it, but I think we're we don't know what it's going to be like for another five to ten years. Um, I think my observation on it is simply spend time in something like Decentraland, which feels like the the leading one uh, at the moment. And I can't get that running at any decent rate on a, on a MacBook, decent MacBook without a GPU. It just, it chugs along. And so the frustration is seeing it as a, a step back from video games. Um, it's, it's a lot of it feels like a money grab. People are dropping it into their marketing pitches, and what they're really talking about is, "Hey, it's 3D, and maybe it's on the web." So I'm, I'm a little, a little cynical, skeptical. Let me put it that way. Ask me again in five years; I might have a better idea. Uh, but I like that we're talking about it. I mean, I read Snow Crash, of course, um, and so I'm, I'm enthusiastic about where we could go with this. But I'm also conscious of. Um, how susceptible we are to having our dopamine manipulated. The shiny,
0: yeah. I mean, oh it's goodness. Interesting there. That you, two things. So you referenced decentral land and said, you know, on the web. Do you think he, uh, a function of, of a metaverse is that it has to be uh, browser accessible, or does it being requiring a native app exclude it? Um, so the,
1: the beauty of, I mean, the work that Tim Berners-Lee did, of course, was the, I mean, the concept of hyperlinks and the idea that you could navigate on uh, like an, an open platform that was available to everybody at the same time, I think is, is super important. Um, how you would go from a gathering in Fortnite to one in the sandbox or something, I, I don't quite know. Um, I, ironically, I, I feel the glue is going to be the avatars. I think that becomes a common point that you mm. can transition and these take different forms depending where you are, but your your core identity comes with it. And so, yeah, I, I like this idea that they are interoperable and you have this idea of a hub that you can jump through a portal into somebody else's experience, which you're maybe ideally preloading. I don't think they all have to exist on the, on the same backend or infrastructure, but uh, if, if if it can bring the best parts of the web, which is this, well, decentralization uh, and the ability that anybody can create these uh, spaces uh, and we don't get too heavily caught up with the, um, I guess, artificial scarcity where we, you know, we love to put a velvet rope around things and things get expensive to buy your way into. And I feel a lot of these experiences are kind of treading that path because it's it's a quick way potentially to monetize them um i think the danger is we monetize them too fast and they just become um unsavory i mean whatever you might think of facebook i think one of the things it did quite well was it was a long time before they had uh, adverts on it and mm-hmm. so it, it had a bit of time where it could figure out what it was and it was mm-hmm. well funded in in the run-up to that now maybe people are ambivalent about what it's become, but it it allowed people to to get to grips with it. And the fact that they had the ongoing uh, access to money, Uh, actually, an example, I. I, all right, everything just seems like another, it's like a kicking off point for another anecdote. Um, For for any Brits out there, you may remember, and I wanna say this is maybe like 15 years ago, Friends Reunited which was this plucky little uh, UK, get in contact with your friends from school kind of a deal. But they had this thing where you could put a profile together, but it would cost you five pounds to, mm. uh, I think, receive messages from people you hadn't seen for in a while, which I paid, I was happy to pay it. And uh, there, there wasn't a lot of advertising on it, but the, they never really did any ongoing development. So whatever money went in, either was only just enough to keep it afloat, or they just were too stingy to put it back into developing it further. But you kind of think that Facebook could have been this little British startup if they just gotten their way through it clearly, uh, and they didn't. And um, uh, you look at the probably the most popular game now on um, Oculus or, or Quest specifically was Beat Saber. It's a, it's a very easy game to get people to wrap their heads around. And it's a phenomenal game, but also it's a platform for music discovery. And they, they've they created something where people are spending 10, 20 bucks every time a new uh, music collection comes out. Uh, it's genius. So they've, they've made, I mean, October, I think the last time I saw their sales figures, they were at 100 million. I remember when it was a big deal. Yeah. Wow. And that was six months ago. So you can imagine what it is now after the Christmas period. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. That could have been somebody else. That could have been Audio Shield, which had come out a couple of years before. It had been written by yeah. an indie developer. And I personally, I think it's a superior game. Yeah. Uh, the physical interaction, I, I prefer. It feels... I, more... I, I, I,
0: that was a, an early favourite of mine, Audio But oh, it was no, really quite yeah. satisfying. Yeah. Like, there, was some, there was something about that lining up that kind of quickly yeah. put you in a yeah. flow state. Yes. And then quickly yes. took yes. you out. And... Yeah. In terms of sort of neurological programming or fast neurological state change, there's something really yeah. interesting. That's probably another, you know, a whole another podcast. But oh, for sure. In terms of that building new reality and the, and the neurology of it, uh, in in a playable. You, I mean, yes, it was fun, but it, it definitely um got the dopamine and and the chemicals and the, yeah, and sure, and the physicality sure. all lining up in, in a very good way because you know it was almost like doing a sort of you know like a some kind of you know sort of chi type exercise yeah because, because you had yes. this this thing to do you were yeah. you were engaged and concentrated enough that it's it's all you were doing so yeah audio yeah. should yeah. yeah. worth remembering you know a, a yeah. kind of application Sorry, to your point, point, which is like the Friends You Reunited and and Beat Saber. Yeah, it
1: it was just simply the audio show got there first and the guy that developed it had been using audio surf. He he was doing iterations of a similar gaming type, but there was a sense that he... I don't know if he just got a bit bored or whatever, but Mm. the the thing that was so powerful about it was you could also just uh, parse any of the music you like from YouTube and I have a feeling he abused the API a little bit where he got cut out of it. And so rather than develop it properly with, uh, you know, it's a business development. Had they had the money to figure out what it was, they could have been Beat Saber and sold for some undisclosed tens of millions uh, to Facebook or Oculus uh, Labs. Uh, And instead, I I think it just languished a bit. And I think it was running. Last time I saw it, it had quite a few. there, There was a glitch that meant it was, not very usable on Quest. And so they're at 3.5 stars at the moment, reviews, and Beat Saber is making money faster than they know what to do with with a near five star perfect review. So it's this sense of if, if you don't see the user feedback, if you don't address um, the friction points, like I say, that customers will tell you about, they were repeatedly telling the developer in the comments section that I didn't see addressed. It's yeah, that 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 could have been him, and I, and I greatly admire his work. But if you don't see it all the way through, and maybe hire some people that know about licensing and, and making sure you're listening to customers, the the CRM, customer relationship management, all that side of things, you just seed the space to somebody that does. And and Beat Saber, it's it's a ten person team from the Czech Republic. They they've done an incredible job. But I would I would take a game of Audio Shield any day over Beat. I think the other element. To this sounds strange, but um beat saber is more violent you're you're throwing mm. swords around i mean you get the appeal of it like hey it's a lightsaber uh but i like the sort of defensive element you feel somehow more um grounded yeah you feel, where like, you're you're absor- you feel like
0: you're absorbing them rather than just breaking them
1: well it, it, it's a fact it, it's you're protecting something inside rather than attacking something outside and i think that mental shift or maybe there's a little bit of psychology i i, I sort of i like that energy you bring mm. to people around like chopping stuff up externally yeah. all right sounds a bit uh tree huggy but you know what i mean I, I like that dynamic. i'm with
0: you i'm with you on it i think this i think yeah. this 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 you know cross-section of uh of, of neurology and uh, an energetic sensation, you know, our our largely video game culture is blow up, chop, kill, destroy because it's what fires, you know, it's what creates the the chemical reaction to get people coming back or kind of excited and and energised. And it's it's always been more difficult to tell the story of kind of integration and um, and nurturing rather than yeah Blow, blowing yeah. shit up <laughs> blowing shit up Isn't is, a, that, is an easy win
1: yeah exactly well i think partly it was that we're back to wish fulfillment, and why um you know for so many years it was seen as a domain of uh, teenage boys where you have I, I i would assume the vast majority of people that play um Oh my goodness! What's the Nintendo one, the Little Island? How can I? Feel? Animal Crossing. Uh-huh. I have a feeling that skews quite heavily uh, female. And uh, the beauty of it is this: it's nurturing, looking at, or a lot of the video games you get. It's um, something to do where you're tidying, you're cleaning. Not, not, to make a sort of gender point about it, but. Uh, you're improving an environment mm. or you're planting things and letting them grow. You're, you're nurturing, uh, or uh, I just played my little universe. There's an exploring mechanic there's so many mechanics that scratch an itch, which I think are more um, noble, if mm. you like. Uh, and I, I like when games will pull that in as well, because it's games you would, you wouldn't mind like kids playing. Mm. Um not that I think there's this direct link between video game. I, I people are smart enough to understand the distinction, but um, I think they can be wholesome in a way that a lot of them aren't, as for exactly the same. I and mean, I, I despaired a little bit early on with uh a lot of the vr stuff it was roller coasters and zombie Mm. games and zombie shooters uh and i found both quite uncomfortable and just Mm. like very stress stress making and i would come in and it was exciting and Mm. i was certainly engaged at the time but i came out just feeling a bit yucky
0: Mm. and
1: i think my I don't know what it is about my nervous system, but I I don't feel like I need to expose myself to as much of that as maybe I I could have done when I was younger. To
0: more uh, stress, to more uh, synaptic. Yeah,
1: very stressful. I've I've quite enough in everyday life. I don't need to do it for my (laughs) gaming experiences too. Um,
0: Interesting. Are you able to tell me about a project that perhaps changed your approach to your field? Is there there a project you came along? Obviously, we, we all learn off projects all the time, but was there one in particular that, Really, perhaps changed the, the way you uh, did other projects.
1: I'm I'm gonna have to. Say, I, mean, I know I kind of keep coming back to to Earth, but it was this sense that one of the things we saw early was people would use it almost as a storytelling prompt, and when you taught them the basics, they they could navigate fairly quickly uh, around their hometowns. And they would show you uh, their house, where they grew up, their school, their favorite holiday place, stuff like this. And it would just come flowing out of them. And so the idea that you could create something that would allow other people to tell a story, Mm -hmm. uh, you would enable um, the sort of participation in creating something. And I think this is one of the things that's exciting about um, uh, the metaverse, this idea of persistence and that you could plant a tree and come back and sometime later, it will have grown and you feel like oh. you've accomplished something. Uh, I think Bofro Games was doing interesting, stuff. Like Peter Molyneux was black and white back 20 years ago. Uh, that you're you're permitting people to have an impact. So in a way, like a, a work of art, it's it's not just you telling your audience something, it's a dialogue and you're having um, you're exploring together, if you like. And this idea that you can leave messages for people in Animal Crossing. Uh, one of my favorite of uh, the old PlayStation games was Okami. I don't know if you saw this, but you would you would go through this landscape and you would learn really magic spells in the form of a paintbrush. You'd move this paintbrush and draw this calligraphy. And there was a specific one that would cause these um, blackened cherry trees to blossom in this very elaborate sense. And it was it was exquisite. And so somebody could come through where you'd explore it and have seen how the landscape looked now as you had removed the blight and had caused this landscape to come alive. And so I, I like that aspect. So not just telling people your story, but allowing them to create a story with you, I think, is quite an exciting way forward.
0: Lovely. And what are you curious about right now? And this could be, you know, in work, out of work, you know, generally what well, what 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 have you got on your horizon that sort of can consistently um, piques your interest?
1: So the the thing that's come up to me quite a bit, well, well, two things really. Um, avatars, I, I feel, hold the keys to the kingdom for metaverses generally. Um, uh, the reason I say that is because I think when people are going to be buying things online, they're not going to necessarily be buying them just in the space that you explore, but they're related to you as an individual. And so the rise of virtual clothing is, is fascinating to me. There's, there's some amazing statistics about the number of clothing items that just sit in a wardrobe unused for months on end. So we're already doing virtual clothes. We just, any, any item that you haven't worn in a year, that's virtual clothing. Uh, so the idea that you can buy something that Affects your representation to the world in a space where we spending more and more time. And uh, I'm fine that if we can uh, forego the, the the use of the water and the the pollutants, the the you know, all the pesticides and the dye going into groundwater and stuff. Um, so that I'm I'm quite excited about. And I think the avatar is going to be where you buy that. That that's the point of interaction. But also this idea where you can that be your one source of identity that you take between things, even if your visual representation changes between more cartoon-like or whatever. So the ability to style transfer, depending to the world that you're in, it is quite interesting to me. Um, And Facebook, of course, they're they're spending a lot of money on the the avatar system they have. But I think there's going to be a certain resistance from people putting their entire lives into that particular silo where um, interoperability or the ability to um you know jump between different experiences is, is is going to be key so we'll find out who people uh, trust uh with this archive of their you know very intimate identity uh so that that's going to be something happened. And and actually, uh, Ready Player Me, I I Mm. don't know if you've created an avatar yet. They've been in this space for years now. Mm. Uh, And I I think I like the way they've productized what they have and the fact they've spent the time working with developers for a lot of these like metaverse type experiences. There's plugins where you can easily bring your, uh, well, as easily as it could be, but until you have it on almost an operating system level, it's still a a bit of a faff. Um, And then the other element, the conversations I seem to be having quite a bit are with architects. Uh, I went up to the university yesterday, I, said, I know some people in the department up there that do things in land surveying. And they have this issue where uh, if you um, architects and surveyors need to spend as much time in the actual place they will be building. And that, that's true if it are building a motorway overpass, or a house or a garden shed, whatever there's no um, good alternative to just going there and, and smelling the air and, and it's feeling the wind on your face, and what the light looks like at a certain time of year. But you can only scale it up so much. And so I think one of the bigger institutional users of, of VR in the near future is going to be uh, uh, building modeling, uh, anything in the architecture, engineering, um, construction fields uh, that I think will be uh, one of the large enterprise customers for this type of technology that we have just now. I mean, I, for example, I mean, I, I bought a, a couple of houses um, from plan each time, and the idea that you sit down at a table, look at some printouts, try and envision from a you know, a printed PDF of a floor plan, what this place is going to look like when you walk through it is, is hard to do. And the idea that you can just export a, an architectural plan uh, onto a headset and actually see it at scale in stereo it, is huge. Mm. Can, I, can I insert a, a shameless plug on this? Yes, one? please say. Okay. Well, that, I know I, a colleague of mine back from the Google Earth VR days, he's created something on Quest, which I think is absolutely astounding. This is the 90 frame spirit second guy and so he's done something that you've no right to see graphics as good as this on a quest headset but he's built um, a bespoke pipeline off on on top of something that google produced called sura which is uh, like a polygon culling uh, engine and so he will import architectural visualization into something that looks like photogrammetry—it's so realistic. Now he's working with really good content, so it's it's well set, dressed, and the lighting is right and stuff like mm. that. But people put this stuff on, and they it just—you see real 3D foliage and trees going out to the horizon. For the life of me, you shouldn't be able to do that, but he's done it, and it looks astounding. Um, so if you want to try that, if you go to the App Store, uh, you can search for Reality Viewer. Uh, no space that's that's the key and that will crop up so um uh, if you like that drop me a mail and there's a there's a feedback form if you try it for yourselves i'd love to get your feedback and are you sitting are you standing are you left or right handed all that good stuff um but if if you want to see something i consider state of the art visuals for for quest that's a good starting point Uh, and it fulfills an unmet need for architects generally because it's so hard to get your head into a space you're you're Potentially selling things to people they they don't know how to interpret a, a diagram, and it was prohibitively expensive for you to have these uh, VR experiences in the past. And it just got a whole lot easier, which is good. So anything you can see early on as an issue, you you can have that conversation and get it fixed before a lot cheaper than when something's is built uh, in the environment. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about the architecture field generally.
0: Yeah, I think we're seeing. Growth I know Autodesk, I think last week. Um, yes. Yeah. A company called Into the Wild who have been doing uh, architectural prototyping in VR for, for a couple of years. I was also really interested in your points on, on Avatar. Um, <clears throat> and perhaps linking back to an earlier part in our conversation where, you know, it feels like, you know, first uh, step of, of metaverses are going to be, you know, of the metaverse is going to be a collection of metaverses perhaps having the avatar move between them is, is a you know is a is a 1.0 of interoperability um, and yeah, calling out ready Claire and me who have done some great work I know this week as well fabricant who are a studio um, launched specifically around sort of almost like the couture angle of yeah. the school of design or fashion and they've just Got a a bunch of funding to to pursue that, so we are seeing a a bit of growth in there. I think Ready Player Me have yeah done a great job. We've used some of their their avatars because they integrate with the the live broadcast system.
1: Yeah, the the crazy thing now is you get people coming out with. virtual clothing, their, their dip shows are purely virtual. They're, they're completely online. There's a, there's a team in New York at the Fashion Institute of Technology. And there's a guy there that comes from a background in um, uh, video effects for movies. And he's now there helming the uh, innovation department at a very prestigious uh, fashion college. And it, it's not it's not some weird thing that that it, it's the generation gets it. And I love that they do. And uh, Nike at this point have digitized their uh, entire back catalog of sneakers at this stage. Unfortunately, there's not many feet in online avatars at the moment. That's true. That the but they also,
0: bought, um, they also bought, was it Rex? Rex? I
1: think Artifact they bought. Uh, they, they. Yes. So they've, they've got some some good stuff coming in. But, um, yeah, but they yeah, bought, they bought a, really sneaker, a
0: sneaker company who had just been building digital sneakers yep. yes. and i think
1: selling them as nfts and then yeah um, that's right yeah i think it's artifact is is that the one it's it's weird because they stripped out all of the vowels so it's until oh, right. you... maybe,
0: maybe that's why i've been reading it as Rex. I, th- I think that's right because
1: i think I, <laughs> yeah it was uh, i never got my head around it until i just said it out loud i think that's the one but yes they did some pretty funky stuff yeah um yeah or that pair of shoes that Little NAS came out with that was quickly removed. You know, the 666 shoes. People yeah. are willing to buy things that are almost an orange or the Mars house. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by NFTs. Again, I don't think I'll be buying one anytime soon, but I like that they exist and uh, that they can provide some utility over and above the speculative function. So it's some interesting. How
0: do you actually? What's your 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 view on that? Um, because it seems to me that like the speculative function is a, a big motivator for people. And because all the utility is like, you know, come to the after party or like
1: yeah, a, yeah, yeah. make a decision
0: in our DAO. It's like...
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, for years, uh, music artists have been complaining about the royalties they have in the streaming platforms. But if they're touring, they'll make their money back from, you know, ticket and merchandise sales. And so the ability to have, um, you know, you want to watch Trent Reznor when he starts doing, because he was giving albums away a long time ago. And, uh, you know, he he sees them almost as advertising for for gigs. Of course, he's like, how many Oscars he's won now? But um, this idea that music and the interaction with your fans can be more than just something going on in the background when you set up like a radio station streaming from spotify or something so as a way to have interaction with with your fans at various levels i that's an interesting use case for me um i get a little bit more skeptical when people are buying you know apes whatever it is but if you've never bought a painting in your life and all of a sudden you're buying this that says to me you probably made too much money in crypto and you don't know what to do with it. And I think that the whole thing is a house of cards. So, I, I believe the um, I mean the open sea revenue is down quite a bit this year compared to last year. I'm I'm maybe a little behind on that, but it felt like the hype cycle is over a little bit. And so,
0: or, or, or taking a breather, or certainly like coming down to after that. I mean the yeah. numbers were huge. I can tell. Oh, the I mean off the, yeah. off the chain for digital playing yeah. cards.
1: Yeah. I mean, I like the idea that um, for a long time, it was very hard for artists to make money generally, or you're still operating in the world ruled by, well, the elite few, you know, the gallery owners, the tastemakers and whatnot. And there was a brief window at the emergence of any marketplace. And it could have been when the iPhone, when the app store first came out. And if you had something half decent, you could make the front page. Uh, but that window closes really, really quickly, mm. and we're back now to the same institution to sort of control it. So for as much as you like to say this is uh, decentralized, well, you know who's making all the money in the NFT market just now, the people selling the NFTs and the, the gas fees and so forth. So I don't see that much has changed, really. It just got very new cycle mm. But it's another technology which I think is is interesting mm. academically, but we don't quite know what it's for yet. And we're exploring that space, which is always a good place to be coming from. Mm. Um, I haven't bought one. I've been tempted on a couple of occasions. But my angle was, if I can never flip this, would I pay this amount for the artwork? And if the answer was no, then I've, I've got no business buying it in the first mm. place. So. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm buying prints and occasionally small paintings. I'm sticking mm-hmm. with that for now.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice, something, yeah, something you can actually hang on your wall without sticking a screen, uh, <laughs> a plasma screen on your wall. All right, I mean, going slightly off uh, off script now. If you if you could have a billboard with anything on it to help build a new reality as a message to people, what would that be?
1: Oh goodness, uh, no. You say that, but I've already seen it and it was something that was resonated with me. Um, I was in Times Square a few years ago, I think when the first Quest came out and they had that great logo and the the phrase was open your eyes. I just love that statement. I I think it works on so many different levels. Um, I think that I have this sort of fascination with the subconscious and, and dreamscapes in general, and even a little bit of psychedelic literature. And the idea that the, what's the matrix quote, it's like the veil of reality that blinds you from the truth, whatever it is, but the idea that you can extol, uh, a truer reality to people, I, I find quite fascinating. And so basically, um, open your item, and I had, it. We, we have an internal thing, we, we have a Teams page, and you, you're allowed to pick three three words to define your role, and, and for many years, that that was what I'd been using, I, I think, prior to Oculus, even. I mean, there's a movie, I, I think, is it, what, the Tom a remake of the Spanish movie? I think that was also open your eyes. Um, oh, what, uh, idea... Was that
0: Vanilla,
1: Vanilla Sky? Oh, Vanilla Sky, yeah. Sorry, you're right. The, the original Spanish one was like something, Liz Ocos, or whatever. Um, but <sighs> I think art has this ability to, I've, I've heard it described as make the invisible visible mm. or see something you took for granted in a new way. And I think VR can do that in in meaningful ways. And the biggest thing it could possibly do is uh, maybe have us view our mortality in a new light. And it's a very scary thing, this dissolution of ego. And, if if there's a higher function to some of the stuff that we're doing, I think good art can be transformative. I think good VR certainly can be, the tools are certainly there. And so if we can use these to, I think, ease our passing to what comes next, that, that would be noble. And I, I can also, I think, file that under open your eyes because there's been academic experiments where uh, seeing yourself in third person in a VR environment and having the character respond to your movements the follow-up questionnaires uh, people become less stressed less worried about illness all this kind of thing and so um, just to step out and you don't have to i'm not saying that it's like a quick fix shortcut, but you maybe don't have to climb a mountain every day at dawn and meditate for three hours or take a giant stack of magic mushrooms. Maybe there's smaller habits we can get into that that like that. Or um, Android Jones, I don't know if you know some of his work. He was I do, doing, yeah, I know, I like it. Oh, it's gorgeous, absolutely stunning. But he was doing stuff more on um, like uh, planetariums, stuff like that. Uh, but just to to take you out of the the day-to-day life and give you a vision of something that you just you, you don't get in the in a way that maybe um, uh, if, you, if you haven't read it, there's a great uh, book of essays from uh, Aldous Huxley, uh, Heaven and Hell. And he talks about just this psychic impact of going into a church, uh, perhaps after you've been fasting for a while over Easter, you know, now now is the time uh, and seeing colors, uh, the light, you know, it's 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 the end of winter, you're starting to eat proper food again, after that little bit of a break, you're seeing light of an intensity that you haven't seen for the prior six months. And you're seeing it streaming through these beautiful bright blues and greens that you tend not to get in uh, the clothes that you see on a day to day basis when colour was a rare and precious thing. Uh, uh, Yeah, it was it was this transformative, uh, partially psychedelic experience. So yeah, open your eyes, man! Open your eyes.
0: I like that, and I love the description. I guess stained glass windows were the nineteenth-century version of VR.
1: I, I honestly believe that there was. Uh, if you go back to like uh, the eighteenth century, it's very. Big. If you were a bit rich, you would have a salon, and you would have a, a panoramic wallpaper, and it would teleport you go and into some, it, you the go pastoral idyll. Yeah,
0: go and look at the wallpaper.
1: Yeah, absolutely, or, or cave paintings. I mean, I like fully. Take those to cave systems. You know, it comes from somewhere. They they were they were transporting places or teleportation devices uh, uh, in the best way we knew how back then. So we're just carrying on the tradition we've been pursuing for tens of thousands of years, just another step along.
0: Yeah, I agree. If you had a hundred million dollars to spend on a social program with no red tape, what would you spend it on?
1: I know you primed me for this one. You sent me a little sneak peek at the the questions. Um, Not not VR related, uh, much as I believe in the, well, the transformative uh, possibilities of tech. I think you have to get some of the basics in place first. Uh, And so I've I've done some volunteer over the years for a couple of organizations I really like. One is Room to Read. And their focus is that if if you just give people access to education, wherever they are, uh, and increase literacy, rates then there's a lot of very positive outcomes and they, they specialize actually in getting girls reading uh, which which is absolutely key I mean you you, you know the quote about educating young girls uh, I, I think that's powerful and the other one is population matters which uh, provides uh, family planning resources for like again unmet needs in, in a lot of countries around the world so anything that sort of breaks people from this tyranny of of um, just scraping by to live and sort of elevates your view of of what exists and and where you can be and how you can participate so i think education is is a key thing for me uh vr will be that i mean i I sort of admired the one laptop per child uh problem but i think even bill gates said you know it's it's all well and good but if you don't have clean water to drink big deal Yeah. yeah you got to get the basics in and i think all good things stem from from education so there's a need for it. Just making sure people have the access wherever they are, which is partly why you know the the, the ban on girls going to school in Afghanistan is just tragic on so many yeah, levels. It's just now, it's horrible, isn't it? Numbing.
0: And and any any particular theories that you have? Like, I, there's a, a theory I really like called uh, Solomon's paradox, which basically means it's it's easier to give other people good advice than to give <laughs> yourself good advice.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, theory, I. <sighs> maybe not a theory it's more an observation it's it's um uh all right going to turn this into like more of an imposter syndrome thing um everybody has it and if you don't have it you may be in the wrong place if you think you're entirely competent and you're you're in a good place you're probably not stretching yourself very much mm. so my theory as it stands would be everybody shares that sense of
0: hmm.
1: in, in, Imposting, what was that being an imposter? Uh, but it's okay, and just to get comfortable, it's not a theory, is it? I'd have to give that no, but it's an thought. observation,
0: that's fine. I, I think, yeah. you know, it's uh, yeah, so uh,
1: basically, get, get comfortable with all right, here's a theory for you. I've got a good one for you. Um, I guess post matrix and you know, simulacrum and all the of it, it's very popular to say, is the universe a machine for inventing itself is it is it purely simulated is it inevitable that our technology will progress to the point point? and a lot of people say well you you can't simulate uh, an entire universe it would just uh, computationally it would be too hard how big would the machine have to be to do everything in real time well if time is an illusion then it almost doesn't matter but you don't have to simulate a universe you only have to simulate that sort of you know inch diameter nerve bundle going up into your brain that that's all that you need to simulate a universe. So maybe we are in simulation. Is this the, uh, is this the, is this
0: the LOD of uh, universal simulations?
1: The, yeah, exactly. The level um, of detail. Yes, precisely. Because I, I don't need to simulate what's going on. I can just, just run that on simulate, some low yeah, level. in simulate the brainstem. I like it.
0: I see the rationale. Yeah, that's right. it. Yeah, yeah. it.
1: Brain nice. in a box. That's what we uh, are. Brain, brain in a jar. That's all we are. Right.
0: And Mm -hmm. any any book recommendations? You mentioned Heaven and Hell by Aldous Huxley. Yeah, Uh, it's it's uh, great that you mentioned Trent Reznor again. I haven't. Look to what he's been doing for, for, for quite a while, actually. So he's he's always an interesting person to look up. Not an author, but have you got any particular book recommendations that you'd like to
1: share? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the one I've been banging on about for a few years now. I'd, it, it'll soon be a Netflix series, but a three-body problem, which I think most yeah. people, have you know, in this field, have heard of. I mean, the other VR game, I don't think it's particularly well fleshed out in the book, but as a feat of of, of imagination and and almost academic speculation that is it, it's an it's a towering achievement absolutely fascinating i haven't reread it yet i will uh i, I think it's phenomenal it's captured my imagination like like nothing ever has a uh, couple of my other favorites uh, ted chang he writes a series of um quite thought-provoking sci-fi books uh, i forget the name of the one there's an anthology that includes something called the tower of babel uh that's great I really like that. Um, I've I've been very fond of Susanna Clarke that maybe people know from um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which was spectacular. But if you don't want to sort of pull in 800 pages, uh, Piranesi was her latest one from a couple of years ago. And no spoilers, it kind of talks about virtual worlds in a way the worlds of the imagination, which I think have something to say about uh, where we find ourselves with this technology. And And the last one, Snow Crash, I know, it's, it's, but there's something almost a little pedantic about the vision of the street, the, the, the original metaverse. But um, there's a book by, by Dan Simmons called The Fall of Hyperion. Maybe you have to read Hyperion first, but they have one of the most uh, breathtaking renditions of the metaverse and literature that, that I've read. Uh, the, the visions he shares in that book, I, I think, are astounding. And the, the denizens of the world are, are quite fascinating, too. So I'm, I'm very fond of those.
0: Excellent. Some great recommendations there. Well, it's been wonderful to to chat with you, Rupert. I really, really enjoyed our our, our talk. If, yeah, uh, thank if you for if the if, opportunity. If, if people want to follow you, um, do, do you oh, well, where where's the best place to, to see what you're up to?
1: Um, to be honest, uh, the only social network I use anymore is, is LinkedIn. So, so please, hello, say there. I'd, I'd love to collaborate. I'd love to know what's going on out there. Um. If I can't help you, I can maybe introduce you to somebody that that knows your field. So, um, yeah, I'd reach out. Easy to find. Um, yeah.
0: Lovely. All right. Well, well, we'll put those details in the show notes. And, yeah, thank you very much. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I look forward to the next one. I think there's a topic there. I'll have to go back through But I think there's another topic. Oh, the neurology. The neurology yeah, of, of flow is it could be an, an interesting topic. But uh, thank you again. And have a wonderful Easter.
1: Tim, thank you. It was, it was a great deal of fun. Really appreciate your time.